just a quick reminder, if you're listening to the show and you like to talk true crime, go join our Facebook group. It's facebook.com backslash this story is not podcast. And if you have a story suggestion or a story you would like to share with the podcast, it is thisstoryisnuts at gmail.com. When two family members die from natural causes and another one falls terribly ill, it seems as though the Stouty family is under some sort of terrible curse. However, in today's case, it is something far, far more sinister. Hi, I'm your host, Missy. And I'm about to take you on a wild ride. Stories with plot twists, shocking endings, and unbelievable truths. Trust me when I tell you that this story is nuts. Mark and Diane met in 1985 at the Lutheran College that they were both attending. And not too long after meeting, the two would marry. Six months later, Diane would give birth to Sean, later having three more children, Sarah, Rachel, and Brianna. Fast forward to 2012, and besides 12-year-old Brianna, the other study children are all grown, still living at home with their parents. Sean, who is on the autism spectrum, cannot live independently, And Sarah, who had actually gone to college and graduated with the degree, could not find work, so moved back in with her parents. And then there was 22-year-old Rachel, Diane's favorite child, who was still also at home. Diane works full-time at the hospital, but often plays the church organ down at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Springfield, Missouri, a gig that she's had for the past 30 years. Mark is the lead singer and guitarist of a local blues band called Messing with Destiny, a band that's been getting far more popular and playing a lot more gigs in neighboring town, Branson, than it ever had anywhere else. Mark also sometimes bartends to help make some extra money, but mostly he's a stay-at-home dad, leaving Diane to be the sole breadwinner for the family. It was Mark's birthday weekend that April of 2012 where everything would change for the Stouty family. Mark would show up to practice with his bandmates and they had noticed that something wasn't quite right with the 61-year-old. And besides acting strange and a bit out of sorts, they noticed that Mark's skin had seemed to look yellowish in color. Just a few days later, on Easter Sunday, April 8, 2012, after Diane had returned from playing the church organ, she would come home to find her husband Mark dead, a dried ring of blood around his mouth. When questioned by police, Diane would tell them that there had in fact been something wrong with Mark, and he had been eating less and sleeping more, and feeling really weak. Diane also mentioned that Mark, who had never had seizures, had had several in the past few days, and that she hadn't called for help because Mark didn't want to see a doctor. The medical examiner would conclude that there hadn't been any signs of a struggle and that it didn't seem that Mark was a victim of foul play. Mark hadn't lived the healthiest lifestyle, and therefore, according to the ME, his death was due to natural causes. There was no autopsy, and Mark was quickly cremated, his ashes scattered in a local lake. 
Mark's distraught bandmates would play his favorite song at his memorial service, noting that Diane hadn't seemed quite like the grieving widow. Although they knew everyone grieved differently, this image didn't seem quite right to them. Diane would use the $20,000 life insurance policy she received from the untimely death of her husband to buy her family a bigger home that her and her four children would then move into. But unfortunately, this wasn't the end of the stouty bad luck, when just a few months later in September, Diane would once again find one of her family members dead. This time, it was 26-year-old Sean Stouty that Diane would find dead on the floor of his bedroom. Sean, like his father Mark, had reportedly been feeling sick the last three weeks with the exact same symptoms that Mark had had, diarrhea, nausea, and headaches. And just like Mark, according to Diane, he had refused to go to a doctor despite being sick. The medical examiner did note the strange ring of dried blood around Sean's mouth, just like Mark had had, and this time even performed an autopsy. But his findings only led him to believe that Sean, who had had medical issues in the past, had also died due to natural causes, just like his father had five months prior. Diane did not throw a memorial service for her older child. She had him cremated and scattered his ashes and then tried to go back to normal after losing both her husband and her son in such a short period of time. The Stouty curse does not end there, though. When in June of 2013, Diane rushes her 24-year-old daughter Sarah to the hospital. Sarah is in critical condition. Her organs are failing as well as her kidneys. Her brain is hemorrhaging. And doctors are not even sure if she would make it through the night, let alone the next few days. It was then, while Sarah's fighting for her life in the hospital, that an anonymous phone call comes in to the Springfield, Missouri Police Department. The caller stating that they're pretty sure that the Stouty curse wasn't a curse at all, and that investigators needed to take a closer look at Diane for the involvement in the deaths of Mark, Sean, and now possibly Sarah. And Detective Neil McAmis does just that. Right away, Neil notices the connection between all three cases. All three were experiencing flu-like symptoms, with Mark and Sean reportedly experiencing headaches, nausea, and diarrhea. And when the detective goes to talk to Sarah's doctor, he finds out that he isn't the only one suspicious. After running several tests on Sarah to discover what could be causing her illness, her doctor is starting to believe that she could have been poisoned. Springfield police know now is the time to bring Diane Stoudy in for questioning. And at first, Diane denies having anything to do with the deaths of Mark and Sean. But soon, Diane would start to talk. At first, Diane would tell Detective McAmos her relationship with Mark was not a happy one, and that she had grown to despise her husband, though they were still married. But it wouldn't take Diane much time at all to admit that she had in fact been purposely putting teaspoons of antifreeze in Mark's drinks in order to eventually kill the man she called an abusive deadbeat. When it came to poisoning her son Sean and her daughter Sarah, she told detectives that the two of them were burdens, leaving the house trashed and never helping, Sean getting in the way of things that she had wanted to do. When investigators go and search the Stouty garage, they find the antifreeze placed next to a pack of Coca-Cola, what Diane had been giving her family with intent on getting rid of them. But investigators are also shocked to find something else. It's there that they find a small purple journal, and in this journal with an entry written from 2011, 
so one year before Mark was murdered, they read an entry written by Rachel. The entry saying that she knew her father was going to die and that Sean would die soon after. That although it was going to be hard to get used to the changes, she knew it would be okay. It seems as though Rachel, Mark and Diane's second oldest child, was involved in the plot to kill the other family members the entire time. And when Rachel is confronted with the allegations during a police interrogation, she would also confess rather quickly to being involved. Rachel would admit that both her and Diane had looked up various methods on how to commit murder, including strangulation. But they had settled on antifreeze poisoning because it was near impossible to detect. The women even went as far as to purchase the old formula of antifreeze because unlike the new version, which now has a bitter taste to it, the older version tastes sweet and wouldn't be recognized in sweetened beverages, such as Coca-Cola or Gatorade, which is what they used. Rachel also admitted that her sister, 12-year-old Brianna, was next on their list. And the reason that Diane brought Sarah to the hospital? Because two people had already died in the Stouty home, and they didn't want to have Sarah die there too. It might look suspicious. Rachel Stouty was offered a plea deal in exchange for testifying against her mother and also pleading guilty to second-degree murder. In that case, they decided they would not seek the death penalty. Rachel was sentenced to two life terms, and she is eligible for parole when she turns 65 years old. Diane Stouty pled guilty on one charge of first-degree murder, one charge of second-degree murder, and one charge of assault in exchange for her guilty plea. Diane Stoudy is sentenced to life in prison and will never be able to get out. As for Sarah Stoudy, after several months in the hospital, she had to relearn how to talk and walk, but she survived, though with permanent neurological damage. She now lives in an assisted living home, and she says that despite what her mother did to her and the rest of her family, she forgives her. I'll end today's story with her quote. I prefer to be a survivor than a victim. If you want to talk about today's case or any other case or just true crime in general, join the Facebook group. It's facebook.com backslash this story is nuts podcast. I'm also very open to suggestions. So case suggestions that I should cover or if you have a personal story that you would love to share with the show, go ahead and send me an email. It is thisstoryisnance at gmail.com. As always, thanks for tuning into the show. I greatly appreciate all of you and all of your support, so thank you so much. Come back next week for an all-new episode of This Story's Nuts, which will drop at midnight. And until then, stay nutty, my friends.
This Story's Nuts was written and produced by Missy Reese with music by Logan Reese off of Groovepad.